you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 1. If you got the newsletter, our weekly newsletter that tells you what we're going to be preaching on, you may have looked at that and said, Galatians 1, 1 through 6, that's just the introduction. And if you realize that, you're probably at home right now. Uh, because you're like, what in the world is this guy going to say about the greeting to the Galatians? But uh, I've been working through Galatians in my my kind of personal devotions, and this just kind of struck me uh, that it kind of sets up the entire letter to the Galatians. And uh, I'm going to do something you sh- maybe should probably never ever do, but I'm going to sort of disagree with some of the ESV commentators. All right, so don't you could probably need to call the presbytery when this is over, and this may be my last Sunday. But one of the things that, that one of those commentators says is this, Paul's brief opening includes a greeting after which he addresses the crisis in the Galatian church. And what I would like to argue is Paul actually addresses the crisis in the Galatian church in his greeting. He is laying the foundation for what he's about to say to the Galatians. And so I think the first question we have to deal with is, what is this crisis that's going on? Well, if you read Acts 14, Paul has visited Galatia. It's one of his missionary journeys. He visits towns such as Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. Um, They accept the gospel, and many churches are planted in this area of Galatia. The problem is, having accepted the gospel, believed that salvation was in Christ alone, by grace through faith, the Galatians are now thinking a little bit differently. They've had some false teachers come in that Paul mentions in Galatians 1.7 and 5.12, who have convinced them that it doesn't have to be all about Jesus, that there's some good works that you need to do in addition to that. In other words, these folks are coming in and they're saying, yeah, it's probably 90% Jesus, and these are just arbitrary numbers. It's probably 90% Jesus and 10% you. So he, he did a lot. He did the vast majority, but you really need, specifically in Galatians, to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus. So Paul summarized the issue in Galatians like this in Galatians 3.3. 3. As he hears these reports of these people that he's evangelized kind of turning from the truth, he writes, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And what Paul's getting at is he's saying, Look, you, you accepted your justification, that one instance in time where you were saved, where you were transformed. You accepted that as being a work of of faith, wrought in us by the Holy Spirit through Christ. But now, you're turning from that. When we start thinking about your sanctification or your growing day by day into the image of Christ, are are you trying to be perfected? Are you trying to do that all on your own strength? And it's concerning, Paul. And so... As they embrace this Jesus plus circumcision religion, Paul Paul is is grieved. And he loves these people and he wants to reach out to them and correct this error because he sees where this could go. 
And we'll talk about that toward the end of this sermon, that there's some pretty serious implications of beginning by the Spirit, but then, then trying to be perfected uh, by the flesh. So, Paul, there, there's so much rich Scripture in Galatians that it doesn't do this book service to just talk about the introduction. But what I hope it does is it, it whets your appetite enough that you will go home and you say, I'm gonna, let me read through this and pour through this. It's such a rich book. But what Paul's going to say is, look, salvation and sanctification, those things have been by grace through faith forever. Back in the Old Testament. And he's going to reference Abraham, who you may have heard of for the last, I don't know, eight or so Sundays when Scott's been preaching, right? That's the series he's been talking about. And he keeps hammering home that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness, that he was justified through faith, through believing. And so Paul's going to talk about Abraham a lot. But I think the question for us is, well, why, why is Paul so concerned about this? And should we be concerned about this? In other words, is it a big deal if I think, okay, 90% of my walk with the Lord is Jesus and 10% is just my effort, my working harder, my trying to do better? What are the dangers of beginning in the Spirit and then trying to be perfected by the faith? Because... I don't think it's just an issue for the Galatian church. It's an issue for my own heart that sometimes I think, yes, salvation is free. The Lord loves me. He does a lot for me. But there's things He wants me to do, and if I do those well, He'll love me more. That's just the, the, the wandering of our hearts. That's where we go. As much as we've heard the gospel, know the gospel, there's something in us that feels like there ought to be something I have to do to earn the favor of the Lord. I'll give an example. Before we moved from Fort Payne to Dothan, Alabama, Annabelle had just turned five. Brock was about three. And so in that summer where we're trying to move and do all these things, Jay Thomas is three months old, four months old. I would get up early in the summers, and I would take the older two to Jack's to have an extremely healthy breakfast. Okay, um, But don't worry, they broke even because they would eat the good food and then they would get on the playground and play and it was awesome. And so one morning, Annabelle said, I, I want to say the blessing. I was like, okay, that's great. This is fantastic. So we bow our heads and she does the Lord's Prayer and it's perfect. And I, man, I was so encouraged. And she says, amen. And then she looks at me and she said, Daddy, did I do it right? And I said, yeah. And she said, good, because I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> and, there's, and we laugh, because if you had asked her, Annabelle, how do you get to heaven? She would have said, oh, that's Jesus forgiving you of your sins. Like, she knew the gospel. But there was something in her that said, i got to get it right to please the Lord. It happens with five-year-olds at Jack's. It, ha it happens with the Galatians that Paul ministered to. And I bet it happens to you and I quite often too because what happens, we embrace this gospel message. But then we're tempted to believe that's not really enough. Just this faith that I'm putting in Christ, surely that's not enough. I've got I to do some things so He'll love me more. And we begin to struggle with sin and we start saying things like, 
man, I just need to read my Bible more. I just need to go to church more. I need to get closer with the Lord. And look, those things are not wrong in and of themselves. Like, read your Bible more. Go to church more. Try to do better. But by themselves, apart from Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit, they're powerless. And that's the point Paul is trying to make to these Galatians. The biblical truth is this. We begin our relationship with God by the Spirit, and we walk with God by the Spirit. Our relationship is God is, with God is 100% His grace through faith in Christ alone. We can't earn 1% of God's favor. It is all by His mercy and by His grace. So let's see how Paul makes his case to the church, and then we'll look at some implications of the struggle with this. Okay, so let me read these first six verses of Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this passage of Scripture. Hide it in our hearts, Lord. Help us to understand it so that our faith is deepened and our love and our trust in You grows. Help us to fight against trying to earn your love and your favor. Help us to rest in the fact that we already have it if we are yours. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So even in this greeting, I think Paul is setting the Galatians up. Okay, Paul, if you, if you look at Galatians, he's pretty... Mean is too strong of a word. He's stern with the Galatians. Like, most of the time, there's, there's some, some bright spots mixed in, and you do get that kind of stuff in Galatians, but of all of his epistles, all the letters he wrote, this one seems to be the most stern. In other words, this problem he finds to be one of the more serious problems within the churches that he ministered to. And so, he comes out of the gate guns a-blazing. Like, they probably don't know it, but he's setting this foundation to, t- to tell them that, look, you, you are deserting Christ. You're turning your back on Him when you begin by the Spirit, but then try to be perfected in the flesh. And this is, this is what I mean. Like, if you look at verse 1, where Paul says he's an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Already, Paul is saying, look, this is not about something I did. It's not something that I earned or I worked really hard for. This is not a job promotion. This is a calling from the Lord. His duties as a minister and as an apostle are from Christ. And they're empowered by Christ. 
And he, he'll give evidence later in chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. You can read those later. He talks about how he persecuted the church and then how Christ was revealed to him. And he's telling the Galatians that it's absurd for them to think that Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, is now an apostle based on his own strength and power. Does that make sense? Like That's what he's trying to communicate to these people. That this is not just some popular vote. This is a calling from God. This is a transformation that came and is sanctification that's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Galatians knew that, right? They had heard stories. They had met with Paul. They had heard his personal testimony. And he even makes a point to say in, in verse 2, he talks about all these brothers and sisters who are with me. In other words, they can attest to this. That this was not something I just worked toward. I just took some seminary classes. I just did better and went to church every Sunday. But that God did something in me that I didn't deserve, that I didn't really have a part in other than bringing Him my sin. And so he makes this point about this, this, his apostolic calling not being man-made, or man sustained, that it didn't have anything to do with the power of man. As a matter of fact, he says, it's through the power of Jesus Christ who raised Him from the dead. So that same power that raised Christ in the resurrection is the same power that transformed a persecutor of the church into an apostle of Jesus Christ. Not His effort, not His work. The power of the Holy Spirit. He's pleading his case even in the introduction that he's a believer and apostle only by God's grace. Now, let me take a side note for a second. If you're here and you came this Sunday to get your life back in order and you just thought, I'll just go to church more, just read my Bible more, I'll quit this, I'll quit that. Those are noble things. Okay, And we're glad you're here and we want you to come back. But you're trying harder and you're trying to get your act together won't happen in your own power. Like eternal transformation begins on the inside and works itself out, not in the reverse order. Not, hey, I'll do really good and then God will love me and I'll begin to change. No, He changes your heart. He takes out your heart of stone. He puts in a heart of flesh. He opens your eyes to the truth. He gives you His Spirit. And so hear me say that this morning. If you're here and you don't know Christ, trust Him. Only then can you have hope of real life change. All right, let's pick back up with verses 3 through 5 because I think... This is Paul's thesis statement. All right, for all you like me who majored in English, you're really excited. All right. So this, this is his point. He's trying to drive home, and he's going to drive this home through lots and lots of Scripture, lots and lots of theology. But here it is. Let me read verses 3 through 5 again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, 
to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I think it's really cool that Paul chooses to quote Randy Travis in Galatians. That's really, I thought that was super awesome. Um, but two things here that I think Paul's trying to communicate. He's saying, look, here's the deal. Christ came, his death, his life, his resurrection brings you a multitude of blessings. But the two greatest are this. One, he forgives you of your sins. He takes away your sins and he gives you his righteousness. Okay? He says that right at the beginning of verse 3. Excuse me, verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins. Okay? But that's not where it stops. And sometimes that's where we think the work of Christ stops. He gave himself for our sins. Okay, that's good. Now, put your big boy pants on, lace up your boots and get to work. No. If you keep reading, it says, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. In other words, it's through Christ's power, not just his salvation, but through his power, through his work, that we continue to walk with him that we continue to grow in Him. Okay? I, I, and again, God is not against effort. Right? We want to be obedient. We want to follow Christ. We want to be submissive to Him. We want to bring glory and honor to Him. But the problem is when we take those things and we hold them up before the Lord and say, see what all I'm doing? Shouldn't I... Shouldn't you bless me more? Shouldn't you love me more? Shouldn't I get more of the things that I want because I'm being so obedient? I'm doing so well. And what we do is we, we don't recognize the power of Christ, not only in our salvation, but also in our sanctification. Christ died for both. Christ died for your justification and your sanctification. He didn't just die to cover our sins. He died so that you could experience power over sin now. Not completely. We're wrapped in flesh. It's always going to be a struggle. Read the end of Romans 7. But you have the Holy Spirit. The power of Christ in you is greater than He who is in the world. It's not about how hard you work. Not about how hard you try. Paul's going to continue to say these sort of things in other letters. And I want you to see this in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where Paul is talking to the Ephesians and said, look, no way is your salvation based on what you do. And, he's, and, and you know these verses, if you've been to church very often. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's pretty clear that salvation is by grace through faith. And Paul specifically says, look, it's not a result of works. It's not a result of you doing something. You can't earn it. It's not how hard we work. It's a gift from the Lord. But Paul doesn't stop there. He's going to write his friend Titus. And he's going to say this in Titus 2, 11 and 12, for the grace of God has appeared... He's talking about Jesus there. Bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You see what's happening there? Back in Ephesians, 
Your salvation, based on Jesus. Your sanctification or your living a holy life in Titus, based on Jesus. So our growing in godliness, our overcoming worldly passions and having self-control and living upright and godly, all of this is from Christ. It's not from ourselves. And that is why Paul is saying, look, you started in the Spirit. Now you're trying to be perfected in your flesh. And that's not how this works. Paul will spend Galatians 2, 15 through 5, 14 making a case for salvation in Christ alone by grace through faith. You ought to read it. So good. So rich. But then, the rest of the letter, he spends making an argument for walking by the Spirit that Christ has purchased for you in His death and His life. And that's why when we get to verse 6, and Paul's thinking, look, none of this is man-driven. None of this is man-earned. These first five verses, I'm trying to make a case to you, says Paul, that this is all about Christ. And so he gets to verse 6 and he says, I'm astonished that you so quickly are deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. A gospel that says, yes, Jesus did a lot, but you got to finish the work. Jesus got you to 90%. We need your 10% to make this thing complete. It's amazing to me that Paul, when he, when he hears this, and he understands this is heresy, he understands this is, this is not true. Okay, And he wants to correct them. And I think a, a lot about an, uh, an illustration that I was given probably when I was a student with Campus Outreach at UNA. In navigation, you know, especially way back when, you know, they were, they were looking at maps and using their compass and the stars and they, you know, we're going to try to go to this, you know, this faraway place and we just need to go, you know, right over here. Well, the problem was if at the beginning they were off just the slightest bit, after they traveled thousands and thousands of miles in that direction, they would just get farther and farther from their destination. Does that make sense? And so I think what Paul is saying is he's, he's looking at them and they're headed down this path and he's saying this is going to take them someplace they do not need to be. They're going to totally miss their destination. And so he sends this letter to correct them. So I want us to look at just three implications of if you live this way, if you begin in the Spirit but try to be perfected in the flesh, three implications that that has on your life and your relationship with the Lord. Those, those things that if you start down that path, that ends up being your destination and that is not what the Lord wants for His people. So first, to begin by the Spirit and then continue or be perfected in the flesh, perfected by our own works, diminishes the glory of God. It diminishes God's glory. When we try to earn our relationship with Him. Because God is the only entity in the universe that deserves glory and honor and praise. So therefore, if I can earn anything from Him, then shouldn't I get a little bit of the spotlight? 
at least a pat on the back. A great job, Adam. Keep up the good work. And it diminishes the glory that we give to the Lord. Okay, it doesn't take away from God. You understand what I'm saying? Like, He is all glorious. Whether we obey Him or not, that doesn't change. But what glory we give to Him is affected when we live beginning with the Spirit and then trying to be perfected in the flesh, trying to do all the right things so He'll love me, takes away from the glory of God. As a matter of fact, it's a violation of the first and second commandment. No other gods, don't bow down before anything other than me. In other words, when I earn my salvation, if I earn favor with God, then in a sense, I've taken control. I've become God. I'm bowing down at my own feet and worshiping. Great job, Adam. Keep up the good work. And Paul very clearly in Galatians 1.5 said, it's God, it's Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever, not me and not you. The other thing that beginning with the Spirit and continuing in the flesh creates in us is it diminishes the work of Christ. We mentioned this earlier in Titus. If it's Jesus who teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to be self-controlled and upright, it's, it's Christ who died to break the power of sin. It's Christ who, through the Holy Spirit, teaches us how to live godly lives. And so when we start saying, hey, look, I, it's, it's up to me to keep up my good standing with Jesus. Like, I need to do these things so He'll love me and He'll want to be with me and walk with me and enjoy me. It's essentially to say... What Christ did on the cross just wasn't enough. Could you imagine standing before Jesus and him, and him saying to you and to me what Paul said? Well, you, you started in the Spirit, but you tried to perfect yourself in the flesh. And you having to respond, because this is really what it is, well, what you did, Jesus, just wasn't quite enough. I appreciate the 90%, but I, I had to... I had to finish the job. Well, there's a million problems with that. But one is this. When Christ was hanging on the cross, He said, it is finished. He said, there's the 100% that you're looking for. And you can rest in that. You can have joy in that. Because it's not up to you to earn my favor, to earn your way into heaven, to get everything right. It is a gift from Christ to us. And so when we don't recognize that and we live trying to be perfected in our own strength, our own flesh, we diminish the work of Christ. All right, then the last thing here. When we live this way, it also diminishes our joy in following Christ. And I think this is the litmus test. In other words, if you're here and you're like, I don't know if I struggle with this, like maybe I do, maybe I don't. Listen to this, this one here and let that be a test for 
if this really is a struggle for you. Because here's, here's what I mean by that. If, if you're trying to maintain your relationship with Christ by what you do, you will spend your life fluctuating between pride and despair. That's it. You'll just flip-flop from one to the other. Because on the good days, you'll poke out your chest and say, look what I did. Man, I've, I've arrived, did my quiet time, shared my faith, made it to small group, didn't cuss. It's been, been a good day. All right? And you begin to pat yourself on the back. And so there you go to the pride side. If you're trying to earn Christ's favor, and you're trying to... I, Man, I, I'm, I'm working so hard. I'm trying to memorize Scripture, and I'm going to church, and I'm saying all the right things, and you don't get the results that you want. Then all of a sudden, you, here you are on the despair side. I'm never going to get better. Can't do this. Or you just stop, right? I can't, I can't seem to be getting the results, so I just I give up. I'm not even going to try anymore. And so you're just constantly flip-flop. Pride, despair. Pride, despair. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, when you are being, trying to be perfected in the faith, it's like putting on a yoke. And Christ said, that's not the intention. That when I came and I finished this work and I gave you my spirit, it was so that you could live in freedom not in constant fear of not getting it right, not in a constant fluctuation between despair and pride, but in freedom and resting in His finished work. Now, think about this. If you diminish God's glory, diminish the work of Christ, and have diminished joy in following Jesus, what kind of life is that going to be? Now all of a sudden this comes, becomes really, really important. And we kind of get the, 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 the reasoning behind Paul's stern tone. What kind of life is that going to be? What kind of effect are you going to have on the culture? If you're trying to be perfected in your own flesh? How much impact are you going to have on building the kingdom? If you're constantly worried, am I doing enough? Failed too much? Or, hey, I did really good, look at me. Sounds like you might be building your own kingdom in that situation. What about the full joy that Jesus speaks of in John 15, 11? How are you going to experience that? Trying to be perfected by the flesh. Look, Paul loves the Galatians. So don't, don't hear his stern tone as, you know, he he's, doesn't like them anymore. Because he loves them, he's taking the stern tone and trying to turn them from their heresy back to the truth. And these verses are in the Bible because God loves us. And that when our hearts begin to wander in this way, the words of Paul to the Galatians pushes us back over here to rest 
in Christ. So what do we do? If you're here and you, you recognize that this, you've got this tendency to fluctuate between pride and despair, that you're trying to earn favor by God with just working harder, doing better, I want to share with you some encouraging words that I read in 1 Thessalonians 2.4 just this past week. Actually, that was on Friday. Here's the verse. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Don't blow through that verse. Paul is saying, I've been approved by God. His speaking and his evangelizing are out of the overflow of that approval. He's not speaking and evangelizing to get God's approval. He said, I've already got it. And in that freedom, I'm, I'm doing ministry. I'm being obedient. And look, if this is true of Paul, then it's true of you if you're trusting in Christ for your salvation. You have been approved by God. When Christ was crucified and raised from the dead... God said, that's, that's a perfect sacrifice. And all those that he died for, I, they get my stamp of approval. Paul write in Ephesians, in the first chapter, that they'll get the Holy Spirit as a seal to their inheritance. God's approved of you. If you are covered in Christ's righteousness, you're trusting him by faith, he approves you. He loves you. He even likes you. He wants to be with you. He gave His Son to make sure that happens. He approves you. So you don't have to strive and work and worry if it's enough or if He loves you enough or if I could just overcome this sin, then Jesus would really love me. If I would just get better at reading my Bible, then Jesus would love me. Okay, there's nothing wrong with those things. Fight against sin. Read your Bible more. But Jesus loves you 100%. And on your bad days, He loves you 100%. And on the good days where you're trying to steal some of the spotlight even, He loves you 100%. That's the gospel. The gospel that the Galatians started kind of turning from, and Paul says, no, this has got some really bad consequences. Our beginning with Christ and our continuing with Christ is anchored in Jesus, not our effort, not our working harder. But you have His approval, so pursue Him. I like to tell people it's okay, you're safely struggling with Jesus. He's not going to let you out of His grip. Even if we flail about trying to steal His glory and work to, to make Him happy, He just hangs on. He says, I got you. You're mine. You're approved. I love you. You are His sons and daughters. And your Heavenly Father approves of you. And I pray from my heart and your heart 
that we live out of that approval. That we're not trying to earn it, but as a thanks to a very merciful God, we chase hard after Him and we tell others about Him. Let me pray. God, thank You for these Scriptures. Thank You for the truth that we've been approved, that we start by the Spirit and we continue in the Spirit. Lord, would You convict us when we're trying to earn Your favor, when we're turning or deserting Christ, as You say in Galatians, to pursue good works or more effort or trying harder. May we repent of that. God, help us to rest in your approval. We ask this in Christ's name.